Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chat Autism Live, powered by Generation Rescue. Today, we have a very exciting guest. She is a speaker at the Autism Education Summit. She is a specialist in autoimmune disease whose career was set in motion by her own experience dealing with auto- autoimmune issues. She graduated cum laude from the Honors College at the University of South Carolina and earned her medical degree at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. After completing her residency in emergency medicine at the University of Maryland, she founded the nationally renowned Functional Medicine Center, Austin Ultra Health, where she currently serves as its medical director. She is also the New York Times best-selling author of The Autoimmune Solution, Prevent and Reverse the Full Spectrum of Inflammatory Symptoms and Diseases. Please welcome Dr. Amy Myers. Hi, Dr. Myers. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Thanks for, for coming to chat autism with our community today. So happy to be here. So we have a lot of questions to get into, but I think where I really want to start is with the very general basic question of what is considered an autoimmune disorder. Yeah, so, well, people might be familiar with names like rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, multiple sclerosis, I can't speak today, (laughs) Um, Hashimoto's, lupus, Sjogren's, things like that. So those are the names people might have heard. And what that really means is that our body has begun to attack itself. And normally, you know, our body, our immune systems, they are really meant to just keep out foreign invaders like bacteria or the flu virus or parasites. But when our body mistakes, or when our immune system mistakes a body part or organ or set of organs, then that is considered an autoimmune disease. And it's sort of organ-specific, and then the names sort of relate to the different organs that are being attacked. Okay. So I think oftentimes our parents are so focused on, you know, helping their kids, and they often neglect their own health and, and maybe aren't paying much attention to themselves. So how might they know if they have an autoimmune disorder? Um, What are some of the signs of of autoimmune issues? Well, what makes autoimmune... Yeah, so one of the things that makes autoimmune diseases difficult to diagnose and why it takes an average of six to ten doctors and five years to get diagnosed is that often the symptoms are vague. What I would say if most people out there are listening, um, you know, have children with autism, particularly if you're a mother listening, there there have been a number of very large studies showing that women with autoimmune disease are more likely to give birth to a child who would later have autism. And there's some studies out there showing that there's something called anti-brain antibodies. So that cross the placenta and may uh, be part of the reason why a child or one of the links to autism. So it is actually likely uh, or potentially likely that if you're a mother listening that you may have one if you have a child with autism. You're more likely to have an autoimmune disease than someone who, you know, doesn't have a child with autism. So um, that right there kind of puts you at risk or may put you at risk. But many of the the symptoms, as I was saying, are very vague, which is why it can take a very long time. For a lot of people, it's fatigue. Um, It may be joint pain or muscle pain. And often the symptoms come and go to where somebody might think, oh, maybe I tripped or sprained my ankle or, you know, maybe I I hurt my knee from over-exercising and it kind of lasts a week and then it goes away and it might not come back for several more months. 
and that comes and goes for years until one day it comes and that knee pain never goes away and then it goes to another joint and then it's so severe that the anti-inflammatory medications are no longer working and then that might prompt someone to go you know, to the doctor to get, to get checked for an autoimmune disease. So it, it really depends on the type of autoimmune disease, but many people complain of, uh, of fatigue. Um, sometimes there's weight loss. Sometimes there's weight gain. Sometimes there's muscle weakness. Sometimes there's joint pain. Uh, you know, again, just depending on the autoimmune disease, there may be a rash. There may be dry eyes. So it's, it's somewhat specific to the, to the organ that's being attacked, but there are some broad symptoms that many people complain of and fatigue, again, being one of the biggest ones and making that very difficult for, um, you know, for people to get a diagnosis, um, particularly in the beginning when the symptoms are very vague or are coming and going. So why do so many individuals on the autism spectrum have autoimmune issues? Because you said that if your child's likely, if your child has autism, it's likely that you have an autoimmune issues. What's the relationship between those? Well, I mean, I think that's the multi-million dollar question, and every parent out there really wants to know is how and why did my child get autism? And so um, I think that there's some similarities with autoimmune diseases. You know, autoimmune diseases have increased threefold over the last 50 years. You would know better the rate at which autism has increased over the last 50 years, but both of them are skyrocketing. And that's the multi-million dollar question because our genetics really haven't changed in the last 50 years. So what is right. the, what is going on? All of these environmental factors um, that that are happening. We'll go, go on later with you know discussing uh, leaky gut, but you know our diet, our food supply has changed. We have these genetically modified organisms. We have uh, wheat that's been hybridized. We live in a very toxic world. Um, more so than our parents and certainly our grandparents, um, you know, the rate of vaccinations that are going up. So this, this link, you know, there are many people, as I was writing my book, there's a lot of research out there uh, showing that uh, autism in and of itself may be an autoimmune disease. So, um, and certainly with these studies, with these auto antibody, uh, auto um, brain antibodies. And so, um there seems to be some correlation there, whether, you know, the parent has autoimmunity or autism itself is an autoimmune disease, or maybe the parent has leaky gut, which then, you know, is, is allowing things to, to slip through the placenta. Um, and then the child, of course, we can get into all of that about how potentially autism comes about, um, which I'm sure many people on your show have already done with the leaky gut and the toxins and the heavy metals and the dairy and the gluten and the infections and the candida. I mean, all the things that you all are, you know, helping parents work through. Um, but what we do know regarding autoimmune diseases is that um, that only 25% of it is genetically inherited and 75% is contributable to the environment. And that's through a lot of studies working with identical twins uh, and looking at their rate of getting, you know, an autoimmune disease. So we do know just like with autism, autoimmunity has an enormous environmental component to it. Right. So autism's on the rise. Autoimmune disorders are on the rise. How has conventional medicine treated autoimmune disorders and how has it failed? Because you talk about this a lot at your book and you even touched on it um, at the Autism Education Summit that you did with us back in Dallas. So how how are we treating it and how is it not solving the issue and how are we still, I mean, the numbers continue to rise. 
Right. So I think it's, you know, it's very similar to autism. Those parents who maybe went through, um, you know, conventional treatment and assessment um, of autism with their child and then maybe realized that wasn't really getting them anywhere. And then they found you guys and started doing a different approach, which is really getting down to the root cause, such as, again, this leaky gut, infections, toxins, foods. It's the same thing with autoimmune diseases. I mean, the conventional medicine doctors do not believe that it can be reversed, just like they don't believe autism can get reversed, right? And they don't believe that there's anything that can happen once you have this disease. Here are the medications just to simply help with your symptoms. And then, of course, there are much stronger medications that they help to try to uh, shut down your immune system. But the problem with these things is that the... you know, it can't just, if, it, if the immune system is attacking your thyroid or your joints, it doesn't just shut down the immune system in your joints. It shuts down your entire immune system, which is why people are more likely to get illnesses and even cancer when taking some of these medications. So I, th- I think there's several failures of conventional medicine when it comes to autoimmunity. Part of it is that uh, they, they, in general, don't view an autoimmune disease as a problem of the immune system. They view it as a problem of the individual organ of which it is attacking. So unlike cancer, where we have oncology as sort of an umbrella, and then depending on what type of cancer you get, you go see a specialist um, within that type of, of cancer. And um, so with autoimmunity, rather than going to see an immunologist, of which there are, but they're mostly uh, working with, uh, with things like HIV or things that suppress the immune system, they're not really looking at autoimmune diseases. So if you have celiac, you go to a GI doctor. If you have diabetes or Hashimoto's or something wrong, an autoimmune disease of your thyroid, you go to an endocrinologist. If you have uh, lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, you go to a rheumatologist. So you can see, depending on what type of autoimmune disease, you go to a different type of doctor. And they're viewing it in terms of that organ, not in terms of the immune system. And so if you have multiple autoimmune diseases, you're going to multiple types of doctors. So that's the first failure is that they don't even perceive it as a problem of the immune system. They perceive it as a problem of the organ. And then the second failure is that they try to shut down the entire immune system rather than look for the root cause. And the third failure is that they just inherently do not believe that there's anything that can be done to get you better. Uh, All they can do is manage the symptoms with pills. And so it's very similar, I would imagine, to what patients have experienced if they have autoimmune and certainly with their child with autism if they started in a more conventional model and then, you know, met or heard of you all at Generation Rescue and then started to do a more holistic finding the root cause model and and the differences in those two experiences. And it's the same thing with autoimmunity. And you've actually come up with a solution. You've had your own battle that you faced with Graves' disease, and that helped you develop um, the Myers Way, which you talk about in your book. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about how your battle with Graves' disease inspired the Myers Way and what the Myers Way is. Yeah, so in in my second year of medical school, I started having panic attacks and losing weight and tremors and insomnia and all kinds of stuff. And this is all explained in my book, so I'll give you the very abbreviated version, which is that I ultimately went to my primary care doctor and she told me that it was stress. And I knew inherently not stressed. I knew myself well enough. I'd never responded to anything this way. She told me, oh, I was just pretending, um, you know, thinking I had every disease I was learning about in med school, and I was just a typical med school student stressed out. Um, of course, I was very offended by that, and it wasn't true. And I requested a full workup, and she called me back a bit later and apologized and said, 
oh, I'm sorry, in fact, you have an overactive thyroid, you're, uh, you have antibodies, you have something called Graves' disease, your body is attacking itself, and, and, you know, and it's destroying your thyroid. So, again, I talk all about this in the book, so I'll do the very abbreviated version here, which is in conventional medicine, the treatment for that is to have your thyroid ablated, uh, blown up with, uh, with radioactive iodine, to have it surgically removed, or to take some pretty harsh medication. And um, I, I started trying some holistic stuff, and then I tried the medication, and ultimately it caused my liver to begin to fail, and I got um, what's called toxic hepatitis from a medication. So only about one in a million um, have that reaction to this medication, but I was that one in a million. So um, ultimately I ended up having my thyroid gland uh, ablated, and so I no longer have a thyroid. And so that was really the big failure for me of conventional medicine. I mean, I am resigned to a life of, of you know, taking, uh, taking thyroid medication for the rest of my life because um, I don't have a thyroid. And I knew that, that there had to be a better way than that. Um, even though conventional medicine, quote-unquote, had solved my problem, you know, they never really figured out why I got this and and what could be done to prevent getting another. Uh, once you have one autoimmune disease, you're three times more likely to get another. And so um, I, I went on a search to find out, you know, what I could do to prevent getting another and, and, you know, why I got this in the first place and what could be done about it. So I found functional medicine and, you know, I, I went through all the steps that that I have my patients go through and then, you know, what I wrote about in the book. So, you know, I've worked with thousands of patients now from literally all over the world with autoimmunity. And this is a program that I saw was helpful to me and to to these patients and has helped many people uh, reverse their autoimmune disease. What I'd like to say is that, you know, there's no cure. I mean, I do believe once you have an autoimmune disease, you're on this spectrum. It's like autism. You're not suddenly going to not have autism. You might not have the symptoms of autism anymore, and you might be completely fully functioning, but I believe you're still somewhere on that spectrum, and anything could set you back at any time. I mean, I don't mean to say that to worry anybody, but it's sort of like having cancer. You know, you just... It's, even if you are in remission, it's, it's gonna, that's your weak link. And when something right. comes down the line, there is the potential for that to come back. You might, you know, I got well and then I got exposed to toxic molds in an office building that we were in. So there's things that along right. the way, hopefully we're all living long lives, there are going to be things along the way in our journey. Someone dies, we get a divorce. Uh, we, you know, have a baby, we get exposed to a toxin, you know, we get uh, a virus. I mean, something may happen and set us back and put us back on that, that spectrum again that we then have to, you know, work our butts off to get back off. So, um, so when I say reversal, I mean, can someone be symptom-free and can they be medication-free and can they often even have their antibodies go away? Um, or at least be reduced? And the answer to all of that is yes. I mean, I say it, I see it day in and day out in my clinic, and I'm sure that, you know, the listeners here have seen that day in and day out, um, either with their own children or heard stories of people working with you guys at Generation Rescue that that's happened with. Um, so, so that's what I mean. And the program is the Myers Way, and the reason that we call it the Myers Way um, is it's a way of life. It's not meant to be a quick fix. Um, it is a 30-day plan, but some people have to be on it longer. And it's really figuring out what those foods are and triggers are for you personally because they're different for everybody. 
Um, right. It's just like you might have two kids with autism or you and your friend have, you know, a child with autism and one gluten is the devil and the other one, you know, candida is the devil or sugar is. So it's the same kind of thing. I see people with rheumatoid arthritis and, you know, for one person, heavy metals could be the biggest problem. For somebody else, it might be stress in their job or their marriage. And somebody else, gluten might be the biggest pr- trigger. Now, as we all know, you know, it's usually not one trigger. Um, by the time we've right. gotten a diagnosis of autism or autoimmunity, it's usually, you know, what I think of is these four pillars or sort of five pieces of a pie chart. And usually there's some component of all of those by the time we've gotten one of these diagnoses. But you'll usually find that there, that there are some that are bigger pieces of the pie than others. And so just and to it, kind of, yeah, did you have another question? Sure. Just to touch on, on those four pillars, I know um, your yeah. fir- the first pillar is on healing your gut. And I wanted to touch on that because I know one of the questions one of our moms asked us about was leaky gut. So our question comes from Monica, and Monica wrote, my son was recently diagnosed with autism. We also discovered he has leaky gut. Do you know what may have contributed to this and how we can help him? Yeah, so I actually was going to walk through all four pillars um, of you know, and, and give everybody just some semblance of that. So, yes, the first one is, is to heal your gut. And, and, you know, there is some testing to see if you have a leaky gut, but I pretty much just assume that if you have a diagnosis of autism or an autoimmune disease, you have a leaky gut. Uh, through the research of Dr. Fasano at Harvard, who's done most of the research regarding leaky gut and celiac, um, it's believed that it's one of the components that needs to be there in order to have a diagnosis of autoimmunity. It's really, you know, the gateway. Our gut has 80% of our immune system sitting right there, one cell layer thick. And every time we ingest something, it's going into contact with our immune system. So if you have a problem with your immune system, you definitely have a problem with your gut, in my opinion. So I can do very extensive testing and find out if you have a leaky gut. Your parents can spend tons of money doing that on their kids, too. But if they're on the autism spectrum, I can assure you that they have some amount of a leaky gut. So what is a leaky gut? Our gut is always semi-permeable. I like to think of it as a drawbridge. All the little boats or the micronutrients can get in and out with no problem. That's what's supposed to happen. When we bombard our system with antibiotics, genetically modified foods, uh, gluten, dairy, uh, um, different medications like acid-blocking medications, um, NSAIDs, antibiotics, stress, um, these tight junctions in our gut break apart and it's sort of like opening up the drawbridge and leaving it wide open so anybody can get in and out. And so those big particles that shouldn't get in like a Epstein-Barr molecule or a parasite or a gluten molecule or a casein molecule that were never meant to get in now suddenly can. And since our immune system sitting right there, uh, then then it's, you know, our body knows that's not supposed to be there and it goes to attack that molecule. And one of the theories behind autoimmunity is that uh, because these molecules often can look very similar to our own body tissues, that it goes to attack the Epstein-Barr virus or a gluten molecule and inadvertently ends up attacking our thyroid, for example, because that tissue looks the same. And so then that's how Hashimoto's comes about. So how did this child get a leaky gut? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, mom might have already had a leaky gut. Mom, um, these antibodies to gluten and casein can cross the placenta. If mom had any antibiotics while she was pregnant. If mom had to have a C-section, the baby wasn't breastfed. 
Um, if the baby had to have antibiotics, had chronic ear infections, things like that, had to be on medications, was born early, was on uh, acid-blocking medications. There's a whole host of, you know, then was on a, you know, dairy formula or even a soy formula. Uh, so those are all sort of common stories that I, that I hear. So, I mean, it's not somebody's fault. Um, I wouldn't harbor on that. It is what it is, but it's the first step in my program is to heal somebody's gut because that's really the gateway to health. And certainly when you're dealing with an autoimmune or inflammatory disorder, even if you're not having any digestive symptoms, I believe most people probably have a leaky gut, and that's the first place I start. And then the second part, or the pillar two, is getting rid of gluten, grains, legumes, and some other foods. And that's because when we're healing our gut, and I talk about this, and I have plenty of free you know, articles on my website, which is just amymyersmd.com, um, and then, of course, I have, you know, some paid programming and then my book. But um, in that and in the articles that are free, I talk about this 4R program of healing your gut. And part of the healing of the gut, the first one is removing. And the first thing you're removing is these inflammatory foods, uh, such as gluten and dairy and soy and corn and sugar and um, a couple of other foods. And so we're doing that for some period of time. Uh, and then gradually adding them back in. Now, certainly, if you have an autoimmune disease and autism, I would not recommend anybody add back in gluten or casein. Uh, the research is just too, uh, to me, overwhelming of how inflammatory these foods are. So um, I never even recommend that people add them in to see how their child or how they do with it. Um, I really um, encourage them to just, you know, put those as their off-limits foods. But some of the other foods, um, you know, like corn, it's not the greatest food out there, particularly since most of it's genetically modified. Uh, am I going to tell you I never eat a corn chip? No. I don't eat them often. But, you know, so I, I know that I can tolerate that every now and then. But it's not a food that I think anybody ought to be eating all the time. But there are people who, you know, corn is worse for them than gluten. Uh, I did a Dr. Oz segment of his, you know, is corn the next gluten. So um, right. it's a very inflammatory food. So you need to figure out, the bottom line of that is figuring out which foods are your problem or your child's real problem foods. So is the it next, just an oh, elimination diet? Sorry, is it just an elimination yeah. diet that you recommend or is there a certain test that you like to run or how do you determine which is going to be most problematic for each patient? So I think that your body knows better than any test. And so removing a food and then adding it back in is always, that's the gold standard to know about a food sensitivity. Um, I do do food sensitivity testing. We use Cyrex labs. Um, you know, when somebody has been off of a food, there's not a whole lot of value in doing the test. I mean, now, if they're still reacting to the food, there's value because you know, and that has happened, that the child is still getting or, you know, the person is still getting some amount of that food, and you need to find out where it's coming from. Uh, but a lot of people don't really explain that to their patients. You know, they come in, and they've been off gluten and dairy for two months, and then they say, okay, well, let's test, and oh, yeah, you're negative. Well, no, I mean, you should be negative. Um, and I never believe, and I think this will be malpractice at some point, that people eat a bunch of the food to them that they know makes them sick to then prove on a test that they're positive. I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. If you've taken it out and you or your child has improved or you've added it in and you get worse, that the proof is in the pudding. Um, but I do have, you know, most of the people coming to see me at this point have read my book. They've already gone through the program. So there's value in a food sensitivity test 
you know, for two reasons, if they're still having issues. You know, I only have you get rid of, you know, 10, 12 foods. So there might still be a food, you know, like strawberries that you might be eating every day in a smoothie. And it's, you know, causing you a problem and you're just not, you know, really able to recognize that. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog in the background. Thursday is the day for the yard blowers and she's going a little nuts. They happen to be in our little yard at the moment. So forgive me. Um, but uh, the uh, it's bad because Thursdays is my day off to do stuff like this, but then it's bad because the yard blowers are there. So anyway, um, so yes, I do food sensitivity testing. If you're coming into this sort of, you know, naively never done an elimination diet, they can be helpful. I still think an elimination diet is the gold standard. And, okay. um, and if you're dealing with autoimmunity or autism, I definitely think no matter what a test shows, you should get off gluten and dairy uh, just because of all of the literature out there. Definitely gluten and most likely dairy as well because of that molecular mimicry. Most everybody who has a gluten issue also has a dairy issue. I personally, and I know that this was one of the questions as well, but I personally in, in my program for autoimmunity have people give up grains and legumes as well. Um, and this is coming from a woman who was a vegetarian for 27 years. Um, I, yes, I lived off of tofu and brown rice and black beans. Oh, no, that's all soy and grains. I know, and Ezekiel bread, yep, so might be why I got sick. So I now (laughs) eat basically a paleo diet or the Myers way. So I I do recommend that, um, at least in the beginning, for two reasons. One, um, these all grains have some gliadins in them. And then there's so much cross-contamination going on with all the grains. The legumes have lectins in them that can irritate the gut and cause leaky gut. And then a lot of people who have autoimmunity and autism are dealing with um, dysbiosis uh, or an imbalance in their gut. And often they have yeast or candida and or they have small bowel bacterial overgrowth. And both of those infections feed off of carbs. And so... I really recommend, you know, at least for 30 days or potentially longer to get those foods out. And then, again, you can see, I mean, this is coming from the woman who literally once a day at least had brown rice and black beans and brown rice usually twice a day. I have no rice in our house. I mean, I haven't bought rice in years. So will I occasionally have a little rice out, you know, out, you know, if I'm out at dinner or something on like a couple of times a year? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't freak out about it. I went to India um, on a a trip, and, you know, it's a vegetarian country, and I was at an orphanage and had a picnic with the orphans, and, you know, they ate a meal of beans and and rice, and I ate with them. Um, I wouldn't have eaten gluten. I wouldn't have eaten naan or something with dairy in it. But, you know, in that instance, you know, I knew I was going to be okay. But this is where you kind of need to figure out by going through an elimination diet what is what are your no foods and what are the they're not so great for me but I can handle them once in a while foods and then what are the foods okay. that you know are obviously good for you so what foods do you recommend that we do eat cuz i know you had i remember at the at the summit you had like a list of foods to avoid and a list of foods that are inflammatory um what's i guess what's left that we we should be eating moderately or on a daily basis well everything is left Everything is left, fruits, vegetables, uh, meat, poultry, fish, um, 
you know, again, depending on where you are on the spectrum, if we're talking about autoimmunity or autism, I mean, then there's nuts and then potentially some grains and legumes or at least properly soaked and cooked or down the line or in moderation. But meats, okay. fruits, vegetables, you know, it's, it's, it's what we were eating for millions of years. It's just not all the other junky stuff. Not that grains and legumes are junky, but some of them are. But um, so there's plenty to eat. I mean, there's there's the entire rainbow of fruits and vegetables, and and lean, if possible, organic, pasture-raised uh, meats, seafoods, poultry, turkey, lamb. Basically. Yeah, you can eat all that. So I think as part of our giveaway, we're also giving away a couple of um, my, you know, basic elimination diet. Um, so in that, um, well, in my book, I, again, get rid of the grains and legumes. In the basic elimination diet, we, we allow you to eat those. Awesome. So everybody, if you want to check out the um, the giveaway that we're hosting today, that's at facebook.com slash Generation Rescue, and we're giving away one of Dr. Meyer's e-courses um, to help you find the right elimination diet for, for your family. So Dr. Myers, now we talked a lot about food. We talked a lot about healing the gut. I want to talk to you a little bit about um, household toxins and how those are related to autoimmune issues. So I want to know what should parents be on the lookout for and what's the one most important thing to do to improve like our home and our office space in order to make um in order to help us make those differences between health and sickness. Yeah, so that's perfect because that's the third pillar which is to tame the toxins. So I think of toxins um you know well, first of all, how do toxins get in? We breathe them in. Uh they get in through our skin. Uh, we eat them, we breathe them in, we eat them or drink them, and then they come in through our skin. So just kind of working through those three, you know, parameters of keeping things out. And then how do I think about toxins? I think about them, you know, keeping them out, so preventing them. And then once they get in, what do you do about it? How do we get them out? So just kind of looking through that, we think about the foods we eat. So if you can, you know, in terms of ingesting them, eating organic, if if possible, and if not, you know, looking at the at the dirty dozen and the and the clean thirteen, um, and water, purifying your water, having a water filter, air. So we're breathing them in. Um, the EPA has studies showing that indoor toxins or indoor air quality can be ten to a hundred times worse than outdoor because our homes are so sealed and secure now, and then the furniture and things that we're buying are not real wood anymore. They're particle board. They have formaldehydes in them. Our mattresses have flame retardants. Our sofas have flame retardants. Our, our rugs do. So, um, so you know, our, there are a lot of toxins being emitted from the home. So obviously trying to prevent those from coming in the home. And then if you're able to, getting a HEPA air filter. And then the one that people don't think about is the skin. So all the, you know, body products, the cleaning products, and even our water in our shower or bathtub. So I recommend you. Know, not everybody can do a home a whole house water filter, but you right. for very inexpensively can get some water filters just on the shower or the bathtub, and that helps filter the water. You know, I mean, it's actually uh, twofold ways that many of these toxins in the water can get in. We take a hot shower 
and not only are pores opening in the shower and then the toxins can get in that way, but also many of these toxins in the in the water can vaporize and then we breathe them in in the shower. So just, you know, clean air if we can, clean water if we can, and clean food if we can in the home. Because when you go out, all bets are off. You know, where, where can you go? What restaurants? Very few that you can go get non-GMO food, all organic, you know, whatever. So uh, filtered water Which is when a good- you're out. So well, that brings up a good question. That brings up a good question that um, someone asked in our community about, like a school uh-huh. environment, because of course we can help, you know, decrease our office space or and especially our home. But what happens when we go out into the real world and we're in places, or we send our kids to school and we can't necessarily manage those environments? Is there anything that we can do to help when they're not home? So, well, I try to make the home as safe as possible and as clean as possible so it's just decreasing that body burden, right, so that when you go out into the real world, you don't have to. I mean, I still think about it, but it doesn't mean I don't ever eat out or travel or, you know, do all the things that I do. I do those things. I just, you know, when I travel, I pack my lunch with me. I actually have a little portable air filter that I take with me. I bring my water bottle. So, you know, I mean, I, I try to do these things. I don't have children. If I did, it's a scary world out there. I don't mean to, you know, freak out parents, but, you know, we I went to this movie last night, Consumed. If anybody hasn't seen it, it's a new thriller, GMO thriller. Uh, they had a screening last night here. It was actually really fun, and it's a good movie, but, you know, that's the whole thing. I mean, if, you, if you're not in a situation at school where you can pack your child's lunch, for sure they're getting GMOs. I mean, we don't even need to, again, I don't, I don't try to be dramatic and scare people. I really try to give them information and empower them. Um, schools are a place where, I mean, it is potentially a bit overwhelming. I mean, schools notoriously um, are moldy places. Uh, then I've, you know, gone to conferences and looked at the research. I mean, everybody has these computers and iPads, and, and schools are going to, you know, everybody has a a, a iPad practically, right? I mean, everything's going electronic and all the routers and the EMFs in schools and then the kids sitting closer to the routers have more ADD than the ones that don't. So, it, yeah, I mean, I, 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 interestingly, the number of people that see me, uh, many, many of them homeschool. I, I mean, I'm not suggesting to them that they're homeschooling. They come in already home, you know, they, they homeschool their children because they have more control. That isn't an option for a lot of people, right? Most people have a, a two-working-person uh, household because they, they need to do that. So I think all you can do in any situation is be as educated as you can, be aware, be empowered, and where you can, you know, make changes, make changes, and just do the best you can. I mean, that's honestly so. I mean, what I would say is, is uh you know, if, if it's possible, you know, sending your child to a school where you're able to provide their lunch. They don't have to eat a school lunch. Um, you know, I can't really speak to the EMF thing or the, you know, or the, the mold situation, but just be aware that, you know, that those things can certainly uh, be in existence in a school and, you know, to be aware of those things. Um, and, I mean, I wish I had kind of better you know, just to be an advocate for your child, right? I mean, if your child right. has a gluten, if they're autistic and they have a, and they're in a regular school and they're obviously not eating gluten or dairy, you know, making sure those teachers really understand that and that they are not accidentally getting the snack and setting you back for days or weeks, right? So um, I think all any one of us can do is be our own 
you know, health advocate, be aware, be empowered, and just try to make decisions from there. It, it is just unfortunate the world that we live in, and, you know, it is what it is, and all any one of us can do is make the best decisions that, you know, that we can make. So we have a question that comes from Stephanie, and this is back in relation to the, the diet aspect of the Myers mm-hmm. way. Stephanie wants to know, um, I guess she's concerned with the elimination of all the different types of food, and she just wants to know if this eating plan is safe for children and if there are any supplements or enzymes or probiotics that you would recommend introducing while you're eliminating foods. Yeah, so there's not, I'm not really eliminating anything that's going to cause a nutrient deficiency. So, um, and that's probably the biggest, you know, concern that conventional doctors or pediatricians will say, oh, you know, don't go on a gluten-free diet because your kid's going to miss out on what? I mean, there's no nutrients in gluten. Um, So casein, um, you know, certainly dairy or calcium is one that people, you know, as children are growing, but there are other better ways to get calcium. I mean, there are many people that say even, you know, drinking cow's milk, it's so acidic that it's very difficult to assimilate the calcium. But if your child is in drinking some other, you know, whether it's cashew milk or um, almond milk or one of these other milks, they're all fortified. So you should not be concerned about not getting enough calcium in any one of these things. So if your child is uh, eating meats, fruits, vegetables, there's really not nutrients that they're missing. Um, So, you know, I can't think of a nutrient deficiency. Do I think... In terms of just for the average person, and actually I think this week our newsletter is coming out with sort of the supplements that I recommend for everybody. I do think that, you know, ideally we'd all get what we need from our food. But because our soil is depleted, our, you know, um, our agriculture is not what it used to be. We live in a toxic world. We live in a stressed world. We have leaky guts we're not necessarily digesting and absorbing everything that we're getting. And so I do recommend that everybody, even children, take a really high-quality multivitamin. Um, I do recommend that everybody take a probiotic. I mean, all the research that's going to the, you know, to our gut biome and the importance of the, the microbiota and, and how there are more you know, gut bacteria or more bacteria on us and in us than there are of our own cells. It's very important to be taking a probiotic. Um, I think most people need fish oils. Um, as well, and then most people need some vitamin D. Most everybody that I see is vitamin D deficient. You know, normal is 30 to 100, but optimal is at least 50 to 70. And then, of course, you know, if you're dealing with, if anybody's heard about MTHFR out there, which I imagine most people have, if you're dealing with one or two mutations of MTHFR, then you likely need some supplemental B6, B12, and folinic acid, all in the pre-methylated forms as well. So, you know, that's a perfect example of how no one size fits all. And as we're getting into really specialized, personalized medicine and learning about, you know, all these different SNPs with 23andMe, you know, people need different amounts. And then if you're somebody diagnosed with autism or an autoimmune disease, likely you got there because of some deficiencies. Your mitochondria aren't working. So there's a whole host of other supplements that, you know, that you would need to work with a practitioner to really hone in on specifically for you. Um, In the beginning, at least, I do recommend a lot of people take digestive enzymes because we're dealing with leaky gut, their guts aren't working properly, and it just kind of takes the burden off. So kind of backing up, you know, I think everybody needs a good multivitamin, a good uh, probiotic, 
fish oils, vitamin D, potentially B vitamins based on their MTHFR status. And, of course, if we're dealing with leaky gut and things like that in the beginning, at least, if not continued, you know, maybe stomach acid and maybe, um, and maybe digestive enzymes. What are your thoughts on heavy metals? Is there any connection between heavy metals and autoimmune disorders? Yes. There is um, there's a, a lot of research surrounding that and, and autism as well. So um, I don't check heavy metals on everybody. Um, I check them, you know, it's sort of like if we can get well without having to go there, we do. Um, but, you know, if we've sort of gone through everything, um, then, then I definitely do check for heavy metals. I use a chelation challenge test. I use DMPS and a six-hour chelation challenge test. And I can speak to people with rheumatoid arthritis. I've had a number of people with rheumatoid arthritis that that was really the biggest thing for them, um, that, you know, chelating out the heavy metals for them uh, made a world of difference. Uh, that and MS are the two that I really see. I mean, certainly it's, it's there potentially with all autoimmune disorders, potentially, uh, but certainly um, those with MS and rheumatoid arthritis have had great success with that. And, again, that also goes back to I do check everybody's MTHFR status, and certainly you can have no mutations and still have an overload of heavy metals, but certainly if you have one or two mutations, you're far more likely to, um, to accumulate the heavy metals, particularly the mercury, just because that's one of the main genes or pathways that um, that we uh, that we're able to detoxify the um, the to de- detoxify the heavy metals. Okay, now let's touch on your fourth pillar, and this is in relation to viruses. And I want to talk a bit about the connection between autoimmune issues and common viral infections. I know that's a big one in the autism community, and it's a big one um, with our parents and their kids. A lot of them have these viral issues or they get these viral infections. What is the connection between um, viruses and autoimmune illnesses? Yeah, so, um, you know, as we've already mentioned about the gut and the microbiome, we're now realizing that all of, you know, this host of uh, bacteria, viruses, even parasites, you know, are really wreaking havoc on our on our immune system. I mean, many people might note that after a particular illness, they never felt the same. Something came out right afterwards. Um, you know, a lot, most everybody out there has been exposed to the herpes virus, just the herpes one or herpes two, um, and Epstein Barr or the monovirus as well. But it does, it's about like 94 to 96% of the population by a certain age. And, but 100% of people with lupus or MS have Epstein Barr. So it is, it is believed to play a role in, in the autoimmune process, um, either by sort of hijacking the cells and then the immune system goes on high alert. Sometimes as we get this virus or bacteria infection, the body goes to attack it, and it accidentally attacks some cells next to it, normal healthy tissues, and that leads on to a cascade of inflammation and autoimmune disorders. Um, And then there's also the molecular mimicry that we talked about, that some of these infections look very much like our own tissues and cells, and that uh, that can lead to the autoimmunity. There are a number of actual bacteria that have also been associated with with certain autoimmune diseases, and I have a list of those in my book. And, and often treating with an antibiotic, 
people will get better from that autoimmune disease. Um, I will say that I do check for viruses in my patients. Often, most of everybody has them very elevated, and I will. Tre- I, it's very difficult to treat these viruses. We don't have very good medications for these viruses. There's some natural things that you can do that you know may or may not work. What I can say, and what I know my colleagues would say as well, we get people better, yet these viral loads don't ever come down. So was it really the cause? Nobody really knows. They're there. It's in the literature. I see it every day. I treat people. I get people better. But I don't always see these viral loads come down. Uh, But it's there, and it it definitely, um, you know, have been implicated in uh, in autoimmunity and even autism, but I would just tell a parent if you've gotten a, you know, a marker and your child's had Epstein Barr or mono or herpes, and the and the numbers aren't changing, but your kid's getting better. I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, I'd be happy your kid's getting better. I uh, many of us would tell you we don't see those levels change in people, even though they get well. So 